Welcome to the Centerpoint Church podcast. At Centerpoint Church, we are a community of believers impacted by God's saving grace and the love He demonstrated in Jesus Christ. Our response to this amazing grace is to allow it to transform our lives and to share it with others. As a body of believers, we find our purpose in knowing Christ, growing together, and reaching beyond ourselves to help others do the same. This week's message comes from 1 Samuel chapter 24 and 1 Samuel chapter 26, where David has an opportunity to kill Saul, but chooses a different way. Uh, We are going through an incredible series right now, and it's a series called Pursuing God's Heart. I don't know about you guys, but the maze makes more and more sense to me every single week. It is this up and down journey of humanity. And we've had a couple of different variables that we've been looking at, Saul and David, about what it looks like to be anointed. And Jamie shared last week about intimacy with God, and as we go through this series, we see that David is going deeper and deeper with his intimacy with God, while Saul is building greater and stronger walls around his heart. And so today, what we're going to see is that these two men, Saul and David, are coming head to head in 1 Samuel 24 and 26. And we're gonna see this really important encounter between these two anointed men. So before we do that, I would like just to take a moment again to posture our hearts. I'm gonna pray over us so that we can be prepared to hear God's word. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that you call us your father, that we are your children. God, I ask that whatever we carry in here today, whatever it is that might be guarding our hearts or on our minds, Lord, I pray that we would just lay those things at your feet, that we would have a posture to receive who you are. God, we are listening. Prepare us to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have, I have two sons, and here's the thing. I feel like I've been through a fair share of my challenges in life. I feel like we all have, especially in the last few years. But nothing could have prepared me for the power dynamic with a two-year-old. Now, listen, I love both of my children so much. They are my favorite creatures that walk this earth. But one of them, for a while... Uh, maybe still for a while, going through a stage where it's really, really, really difficult for him not to have his way. Which makes sense. He's two years old. He doesn't have the emotional and the mental capacity to know how to navigate that in his emotions yet. But you could be in the other room, and you'll know it's happening, because you feel the earth like shift beneath your feet a little bit. And this sweet boy, he takes this like posture, his two feet are firmly planted, he's got clenched fists, and then you just see this deep shade of magenta just like rise up all the way to his head, and you know he is having a power struggle. And here's the thing, underneath all that frustration and this sweet, sweet, wonderful two-year-old boy is the desire for power. It's a desire for control. And this is actually a pretty regular human condition. This has been happening since the fall, is that humanity likes the upper hand. 
Humans like the upper hand. The definition of upper hand is the position of having power or control in a certain situation. And there's a fear of losing that power or control in a situation. It's why we like to leave reviews on products that we don't like, or perhaps why relenting in an argument is so difficult. It's why we might struggle with comparison or competition, or we might feel the need to criticize or have judgment or gossip, because the upper hand over somebody else, there's a sense of security there. It's a human condition. And today we're going to look at, in the pursuit of God, what does the hand of God look like? Does the hand of God look a lot like the upper hand? Or does it look altogether different? You see, last week we were in 1 Samuel 23. Today we're going to be in 1 Samuel 24 and 26. So if you want to turn to chapter 24, please do that now. We're going to mostly be there and we're going to look a little bit at 26 as well. But what's going on here in chapter 24? Saul, again, pursuing David. This is not a new thing. But he had just been occupied with the Philistine raid. So the Philistines were a threat on Israel. So even Saul knew, okay, i got to pause my pursuit on David because i got to focus on the Philistines. So this gave David plenty of time to get away. In a way, the Philistine raid was a device to protect David. But I don't think there was even a breath between the end or the pausing of the Philistine conflict and Saul resuming his chase on David. Because for Saul, David's the real threat, not the Philistines. David's the threat on his throne. You see, we look in verse 1 and 2. It says this, After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of Engedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from Israel, all of Israel, and he set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. I want us to observe here that Saul immediately ensures the upper hand. Saul ensures the upper hand. Look what he does. He takes 3,000 men. Not just any men. Scripture says that they are of the highest military superiority. They are the best of the best. 3,000. Not only that, but David only had 600 men. That's a five to one odds. He ensures the upper hand over David. He also is clothed with self-importance and, and self-confidence and pride. And you could say Saul's heart was guarded. Saul was ensuring the upper hand. He would not be found vulnerable. He would not be found helpless in the face of David. So Saul, he comes to the cliffs overlooking the Dead Sea. This area is just honeycombed with caves. And the fact that Saul walks in the very cave that David is hiding is a divine intervention. It is divine guidance. It is no coincidence. So Saul walks into the cave alone. 
Suddenly, Saul is powerless, and I think being powerless was Saul's biggest fear. This is what he does when he goes in the cave. Saul goes in to relieve himself, and he has no bodyguard with him. He is completely humanized and vulnerable. Often, this process of relieving yourself as a king is prime situation of your, the enemy to attack or humiliate or shame the king. We see this in the Old Testament a lot. It's a prime moment. If you're going to attack a king, this would be the space to do it. It's either going to be sleep or when he's relieving himself alone. It's an easy place of shame. And we think about the last time Saul and David were in the same place, Saul had this strong, aggressive power, upper hand, and David was a vulnerable fugitive, and now suddenly, the roles are completely reversed. David has the upper hand completely. Saul is now vulnerable, exposed, without any protection, without any upper hand. Not surprisingly, the men that are with David make an assumption. They anticipate the upper hand that David now hands has to be a work of God, right? Look, your enemy's vulnerable. You can kill him now. This has to be God at work. I mean, it was this immediately, immediate assumption. You know, assumptions are incredibly dangerous, aren't they? It's like when I assumed mushrooms were really gross because they're a fungus, but now I, I went decades without the most delicious favorite food of all time. Or when I assumed that the American League couldn't be near as superior as the National League, but now that I married into it, I'm warming up to the American League in baseball just a little bit. Or what about the times when I assume something about somebody that is altogether not true? It's dangerous. I think the most dangerous assumption that we can make is an assumption of what God's divine intentions are apart from yielding to him, apart from asking him. They made this assumption that this was David's reason for his anointing. This is what they say to him. This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. So then David crept up unnoticed and cut a corner of Saul's robe. You see, the men's natural assumption was that this was David's a divine appointment. The reason for his anointing was to kill Saul when Saul is vulnerable. Surely this is what God wants. This phrase, to give or deliver into the hands, I want to pay attention to that wording. It's a phrase common in the Old Testament military settings. It's a shifting of power dynamics. When someone says they're going to be delivered in somebody else's hand, that's a, someone taking the upper hand. And this is what the men say. They say, David, do to him whatever seems good in your eyes giving David the place of judgment. They gave David the place of judgment. Do what's good in your eyes. But we know that what's good in man's eyes isn't always what's best in God's eyes. Now let's take a look at the assumption of David. David takes a different route. David crept up and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Another power dynamic. 
also not in line with God. There's major symbolism going on here. The cutting of a robe is linked to a cutting of a kingdom, perhaps cutting away Saul's kingship. So David assumes this is the time for me to take on the kingdom. This is the time for a transfer of power. This is my moment, another position of upper hand. You see, both the men and David seek the upper hand, not God's hand. Both men and David take the place of judgment, and they don't yield to God's hand and God's ways and God's ideas in this moment. I mean, look at Saul's credentials. It's really profound. Saul is the enemy of David. He's the now-proclaimed enemy of God. He's defiled in sin. He's in a place of shame. He's exposed. He could be humiliated. And the men and the David think this is the time to cut him off. But God's hand is altogether different in this moment. Both scenarios sought the upper hand. And what is God's hand at work when the enemy is vulnerable, when you have the enemy right where you want them? What is God's intention here? What is the divine approval? That's what God's hand is, a divine approval of what's going to happen, what's going on in this scenario. Well, Scripture tells us that David's heart was immediately struck I was doing some work in my kitchen the other day. Not a good idea to try to do work in your kitchen. We should only cook and eat in the kitchen. Because this is what happened. I was trying to write a paper. I was really focused. I was in it. And I think every fly in America decided to take up residence in my home that day. Because I was working and the buzzing and the buzzing and the landing on me was just, I could not ignore it. I couldn't focus on anything else. The presence of the flies were so, like, in my face. I'm telling you, they did not have God's divine approval. I'll tell you that much, okay? So the, the flies were so in my face, I couldn't ignore them. I could do nothing else. David's heart was so struck he was so struck by the presence of his own heart, he couldn't ignore it. He couldn't go on. And it says in Scripture, we're looking at verse 5 and 7, afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to the men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words, and he did not permit them to attack Saul. Saul rose up, left the cave, and went on his way. He had no idea what happened. David's heart struck him. In Scripture, in 1 John, it says that your own heart can condemn you, and he could not ignore it because he was so sensitive to the Spirit. We have to ask, why was David's heart so available to the Spirit in this moment to realize what he did was wrong? Well, while Saul, our good friend Saul, was busy securing a position of power, 
While Saul was accumulating armies, status, image, pride, and even violence, David was releasing his power to the hand of God. While Saul pursued him, David did not build a refuge, but he found a refuge in the hand of God. And this is the most important part. While Saul was guarding his heart and building walls around his heart, David's heart was breaking. He had embraced defense, defenselessness. David roamed caves and wilderness. He was willing to face rejection and loneliness, pain. Instead of arguing, instead of scheming, instead of preparing an army, David sang. David poured out his heart. He wrote songs, he trusted, and he communed with God. A broken heart became the seedbed of the coming kingdom. A broken heart became the seedbed of the coming kingdom. You see, a guarded heart receives the upper hand, probably every time. A guarded heart might receive the upper hand, but a broken heart receives the hand of God. A guarded heart might have power over an enemy in the moment, but a broken heart is God's sanctuary. In Isaiah 57, God reinforces his posture towards David's broken heart. He says this, I do live in a high and lowly place. Yes, I do. But I also live with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of the contrite. See, here's the thing about a broken heart. When it's yielded to God, God doesn't leave it broken. He dwells with that broken heart, and he heals that broken heart, and he restores it, and he revives it, and he makes it sensitive to the hand and the work of God. A heart that's open, not crowded by protection, or an army, or image, or status. Gene Edwards and his rendition of David's life says this, there in those caves, drowned in the sorrow of his song and the song of his sorrow, David became the greatest hymn writer and the greatest comforter of broken hearts this world will ever know. Church, what are the credentials of pursuing God's heart? I think it's a broken heart. A willingness to lay down your guard. I'm curious about what it might be in this room that we might be taking with us if Saul had this, say, security blanket of 3,000 men. What is it that we carry with us to protect ourselves from vulnerability or from being exposed or from maybe the fear of feeling shame? For me, it's sometimes this shell of perfection. If I could appear that I'm perfect. I'm going to guard my heart in that way. It could be a bank account. It could be a title. It could be um, winning arguments. But whatever it is, what is it that is guarding your heart from being vulnerable and yielding to God? You see, the upper hand moves quickly while the hand of God moves with divine timing. 
The upper hand attacks while the hand of God serves. The upper hand humiliates. The hand of God honors. The upper hand defends while the hand of God extends. The upper hand accuses while the hand of God forgives. The upper hand values a guarded heart, but the hand of God values a broken heart. God's spirit drove David to see Saul behind the armies, behind the aggressive behavior and violent intentions. Let's take a look at David's posture. His enemy's vulnerable. He's, his enemy's in front of him. David bows to Saul. He physically takes on this nature of a servant and submits to Saul. And look at these titles that he calls him. He calls Saul my Lord. He calls Saul Yahweh's anointed. He calls him my Lord and King, my Father, King of Israel. David's heart was stricken, for Saul's not his enemy anymore. Saul is God's anointed, God's sanctuary, holy, set apart. And the thought of striking what is sacred to God was just repulsive to David. David saw Saul behind the behavior, and he saw Saul for who he is, which is God's anointed. And listen to this. For David, in this moment, to be devoted to God was to be devoted to his enemy. To be devoted to God was to be devoted to his enemy. This is not a matter of the upper hand, but a matter of God's hand. You don't have to turn there, but I briefly want to tell you about chapter 26, because some commentators believe that it's a, a different rendition of the same memory. Some believe that it's an entirely different thing, but no matter what, it gives us this window into ourselves and how we fit in the gospel. You see, once again, Saul pursues David with 3,000 select men. But this time, God call, uh, causes Saul to fall into a deep sleep. And during this deep sleep, David and two other men go into Saul's tent and they see him sleeping. Again, sleeping is another prime time to attack your enemy. They're vulnerable. They can't defend themselves. And Saul's sword just so happens to be at his head. And the two men that are with David say, here it is. This is the time. This is your divine appointment. Take the upper hand. God's given it to you. And in this instance, once again, David sees Saul as the Lord's anointed, and putting even a finger on Saul is just repulsive to David. I, th I think we need to think about our own credentials in the gospel. Where do we first see ourselves in this story? Because we have to first see ourselves in the position of Saul. That scripture tells us in Romans that when we were an enemy of God, when we were defiled in sin, when we were in a position of shame and humiliation, when we were the enemy of God, the only power dynamic that God cared about was the cross. That when we were enemies of God, G Jesus died so that we could be reconciled to God through him. 
That we, when, when we were caught in our sin or caught in our shame, Jesus stewarded us as sacred, as his anointed. He saw us as he saw himself. Valuable and worthy, God's dwelling place. We don't need the position of the upper hand church. We've been given the position of Jesus who is at the right hand of God. It's the only power we need is the power of the cross. He valued us by his blood and he declared us righteous. And I'm curious about what a starting point for us might be this week. Because I think, you know, Jamie last week told us that if we could spend some time just saying, I love you, God, taking a moment of expressing our love to God, this week, if we could go just a little bit deeper and start practicing letting God love us when we think we don't deserve it. Receiving the love of God apart from our image or our status, our armies, our defending, our arguments, just letting God love us when we think we are unlovable when we feel shame, is talking to God and maybe we could be like David and write him poems or just talk to him when we think we don't deserve his love. Because I will tell you, when you're caught and when you're exposed and when you're vulnerable with God, the only power dynamic he cares about is the work of Jesus. You know, when we see ourselves through the reality of the cross, we get to see our enemies through the reality of the cross as well. We go back to our scripture. David cuts off Saul's robe. He's very, he's just so distraught. He can't believe he did that. And he runs out to Saul. And the crazy thing is, is there's just thousands of men around. And David does this eloquent speech. And it's as if he's on trial. And this is what he says. The first thing he does is he declares his own innocence. He declares that he is spotless. In verse 11, see my father, look at this piece of robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but I didn't kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. In the face of his enemy, David declares that he's innocent and he's spotless. The second thing that David does is that he releases the upper hand. First, he declares he's innocent, and then he releases the upper hand. He says in verse 12 and 13, May the Lord judge between you and me. May the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. David gave the narrative of his own enemy back to the hand of God. He gave the judgment back to the hand of God. In a way, I think David was just kind of like, you're spending so much energy on me. I'm no threat to you. I'm not going to take the upper hand. I'm not going to attack you. I'm not going to kill you. I am not a threat. In fact, David calls himself a flea and a dog. Like you're, you're pursuing me as if I'm a threat. And let me tell you, I won't take the upper hand. So he declares his innocence. He releases the upper hand, and then he trusts in the hand of God. 
In verse 15, it says, May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. You see, in this speech, in this trial-like language, David declares that he's spotless, he releases the upper hand, and he trusts the narrative to God because God's idea of the coming kingdom has a much different power dynamic than the ideas that humans have. Our hand, the upper hand, might be good in our eyes, but the hand of God is altogether different, altogether better. And I think that when we're tempted to take control or take power in our lives, when we feel a threat, when you feel a threat in your life, let's do these three things. First, let's receive our own innocence. To declare the work of Jesus in our own life, that he is spotless and has made you clean, that he has cleansed you and called you sacred and of value in spaces of shame and guilt, just declaring the narrative of the cross over your own life. And then when you feel the threat, we release the upper hand to let our guard down, let the compassion of Jesus be the power that motivates you. And then be restored in the hand of God. Let your broken heart be unguarded to become his dwelling place that he might restore you and heal you. And as scripture says, may he exalt you at the proper time. Because this can have profound impact in our world. When we look back at Saul's response, Saul immediately, I love this, he asks, he's like, whose voice is this? And is it because it's too dark, or is it because Saul just can't hear, he's getting feeble, or perhaps the reason Saul was hesitant of this encounter is because he is completely exposed and naked in front of his enemy, seen for who he is in his entirety. And I believe that Saul guarded his heart for fear of what would happen if somebody truly knew him. I think that's why he protected himself. How is someone going to respond if someone truly knows me? And David's compassion causes Saul's walls to come down. Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He weeps because he is now facing the truth he has always avoided, confronting the reality of David. He must face the truth of his own life. And under the hand of God, he finally just yields to the future of David. He says, you are more righteous than I. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him go unharmed? This is unfathomable. May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. Pay attention to this language. In verse 20, Saul says, I know. I know and I accept that you will be king, David. He yields. That the kingdom of the Israel will be established in your hands. David, his perceived enemy, comes under the hand of God, which allows Saul to yield to the future that is David's church. Because of the work of the cross, we get to believe the power 
of Jesus for ourselves and for our enemy. It's sufficient. It's enough. So this week, I challenge us to receive the work of Jesus and declare your innocence. When you feel shame and you feel vulnerable and you feel broken, you declare the work of Jesus in your life. Release the upper hand. Trust the hand of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that when we were your enemy, when we were defiled in sin, when we were naked and vulnerable and exposed, God, you did not humiliate us. You did not reject us. You did not cut us off from your family, God, but you adopted us into your family that we might be called your dwelling place. God, I pray that this week that we would have permission to be broken, that we would receive your presence and your love in spaces where we think we don't deserve it. God, we love you. We offer you our hearts in this space. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Centerpoint Church Podcast. Be sure to keep up with us on social media at facebook.com slash wearecenterpoint or on Instagram at wearecenterpoint. We hope to see you soon in person for worship this Sunday at 930.